All right, everybody. Welcome to Breaking the Panel. We're talking about all the awesome stuff and sometimes the not so awesome things that happen throughout the week. First off, uh, Chris Wisdom. Not Chris Wisdom. My brain. Okay, first off, I am sick and I'm exhausted and I've had two really long days of having to teach classes. Hey, Paul, you did a cry nice, but I did call out 30 minutes before the show like Pussy Chris Wisdom did. So, whoa, and he just had a whoa, headache. Whoa, I'm just whoa. saying, this is a professional. Tony, take note. This. Is what a professional looks like, right? Me and you. Me and you. misogynist over here. So, um, I will misstate way more than I typically misstate on this show. Um, But Phil Keating is out tonight. He's at a a concert. Tony's going to fill in for a little bit tonight. He's got some stuff he's got to do. He may not be able to do the show. You're welcome. And I haven't done your intro. Shut up. Um, So, here we go. Here are the intros. We got Paul Klotz, who's going to run the show tonight for me. Chris Wisdom, who's obsessed with Lost in Space, apparently, because he's second week in row, you're doing a Deep Space uh, Nine background. And if things go like they did earlier the week, I will blow this ship up. <laughs> and uh, friend of the show, the man who's still working on the top secret podcast project or youtube or twitter i don't know is that secret i don't even know what it's for but he's working on a project to bring to gstu.net tony hendy henderson you're welcome <laughs> i heard we're talking about parasite this week in the oscar noms <laughs> no oscar well, noms we're not I <laughs> oh we said paris hilton that's why charles is still still here <sighs> Fuck <That's- off. laughs> uh, and uh, Mike Annis will be back with us next week. He was scheduled for tonight, uh, but he was going to be in person with me, and I didn't want to get him sick. So he will be scheduled next week. Uh, all right, Paul, I'll let you take over, man. Well, I assume this first uh, topic we got is coming from Chris. Chris. Actually, I found that. I don't know if Chris even looked at I, it. It wasn't so. even tracking at it. Well, yeah. then, yeah. You, yeah. you know, I mean, it's DC Comics, I assume. Yeah. You know what they say when we yeah. assume. <laughs> It so, makes an ass out of you and me. It's recorded that not just me misattributes things. I'm just saying. Uh, but this basically is an article. I think Chris is speed reading it right now. Uh, I thought it's going to be DC Comics is doing. And let's see if we can get over here. Uh, yeah, there we go. DC Comics. I thought they were making a comic book based on Dungeons and Dragons. Which I think they've done in the past or Dark Horse. Somebody did. No, they're actually making. A playable Dungeons and Dragons, uh, what's it called? Campaign setting. Thank you, campaign setting. Um, That goes with 5th edition rules, I think is what it said. Yeah, 5th edition. So, uh, unfortunately, of course, Phil's not here because he's their resident D&D person. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) I mean, just because he doesn't show about D&D doesn't mean he follows anything with it. That is absolutely true. Uh, I'm going to read this one quote, and then you guys can discuss whether you care or not. Uh, for role-playing f- game fans, this source book also includes the 5th edition, but they say 5e, compatible content to run your own quest with playable races, subclasses, magic items, monsters, and more, courtesy of Nerd Poker Podcast, Dungeon Master Dan Telfer. The source book is also in- includes new maps and illustrations from Master Cartographer Jared Blando. It'll be on sale April 29th for 5 bucks. So, okay, what's going on here is this is uh, this is being published under Wizards of the Coast Open Gaming License for Dungeons and Dragons, which uh, any casual D and D fans or non fans might not understand what that is. Since uh, 
the early aughts, uh, Wizards of the Coast has had a policy in place for Dungeons and Dragons since third uh, edition and on called the Open Gaming License, which allows third-party publishers and uh, independent creators and everything to create content that uses the core system of the game, which is the they're, they're referred to as the, the core rules uh, through a document called the SRD, the System Reference Document. And basically what it, 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 it they still own the, you know those core rules but they've made them available for other publishers to build on so basically like you can reference stuff like fighters and what they get at level five and all that kind of stuff like that is all considered srd content uh which is really great because it has allowed for a pretty robust you know industry of independent or third-party publishing for Dungeons and Dragons that didn't have to be made by Wizards of the Coast, which is you know also owned by Hasbro, which means it doesn't have to necessarily follow the kind of corporate outlook that like they would have, you know, and and align with one of their established campaign settings or anything like that. Uh, in the past, there's been some crazy stuff like, I mean, there's like supplements that third party publishers made for like erotic role play and stuff like that for D&D and a number of other things so that's what this is uh, they say in this article here in Polygon um, it's still cool to see that somebody is like somebody at DC was like let's tap into what's going on because for again the casual D&D fan there's a Dungeons and Dragons renaissance going on right now particularly in the fact that there are a lot of uh, live streams and uh, shows focused on D&D that have exploded. Podcasts, you know, uh, performances, all that kind of stuff. Live plays at cons. It has become a big thing. And a lot of celebrities are getting involved. They have their own versions of it or they are on various shows. Um, and it's it's expanded a bit into some other RPGs too, not strictly D&D, but for the most part, D&D is the focus. So you've got shows like Critical Role, and then you got like Dan Harmon's Harmon Quest and a whole bunch of other stuff that is like that. Botch. And botched. Well, Bosch is very like, non-canon. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's—I mean—that's Bosch would be a perfect example of their SRD because isn't that what they run the uh, what is it the Adventurers League off of? Isn't that where they pull out of their probably? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, Bosch is that's you're you're Botched. doing homebrew stuff. I mean, that's a perfect example yeah. of the, what what would utilize the SRD. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the 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 op the OGL the Open Gaming License. So if if the guys at Bosch, for example, wanted to develop a supplement with like their characters from the show like if they wanted to publish like a pdf or something they could actually do that referencing the rules of the game not that they follow them but they could put you know characters from the seasons or whatever and be like oh mogar and like give mogar stat block and it would be a legitimate DD stat block and they could publish it and sell it and not get sued by wizards of the coast for referencing their game system because that stuff is allowed you know what's in the SRD is allowed. Uh, you can't, for example, like start referencing stuff that's in like Forgotten Realms, the campaign setting that is still considered proprietary, and that's their stuff. You can't build on their story elements, but you can build on the core, the game system. It's, it's kind of like 
when uh, when code is done open source for like a video game or for software, and they're like, yeah, take our open source software and you know do your twist on it, do whatever you want with it, but basically you still have to reference the fact that you're using the open source core software somewhere in your documentation, and that's it. So now my only question is, I mean, DC is legit, obviously big company, and they're selling it on shelves for five bucks. Is Wizard of the Coast getting any piece of that? So, well, so that's the comic. This is different than the source book. the The comic is going to be a new series. It's gonna so it gives it gives DC an opportunity to explore that full fantasy realm without using. That's this is not a comic. The uh, the first line. I got you. Okay. There's two. There's two different things. Okay. So there's the source book, which is what we're talking right now. Oh, and then the, the that la- okay, that bottom. The Last God okay. is the comic series that they're doing off of it. Fuck you, Polygon, for not making that clear for <laughs> casuals like myself. <laughs> so, I mean, and it's cool, but, like, I've been wondering, honestly, in the last, probably in the last year, um, so now maybe there will be some movement with it. I'm honestly wondering if Marvel is planning on any doing anything, any kind of resurgence with ElfQuest. Honestly, be- because of this this revival of D and D and and fantasy realms in general, just I mean, you see it with The Witcher, we saw it with Game of Thrones. Um, it's it's always been, you know, our territory immensely popular in our realms. But you know, it's nice to see it get again get that that wider that wider fandom. Um, and I always really enjoyed Elfdom. It wasn't anything that I bought regularly, but I can't remember an ep- uh, like uh, you know an issue that wasn't the art wasn't you know compelling enough for me to get into and the story was good so i could pick it up and read it and uh put it down and then come back to it pretty easily mm-hmm. yeah that's cool uh skippy and chat says some really great stuff uh came out of the ogl like paizo uh who is the publishing company that that when wizards of the coast originally spun off the two publications dungeon and dragon which were supplemental monthly things that came out for D, they spun them off and the department that used to make that became paizo publishing they went on to make the game pathfinder you might have heard of which is now D- dungeons and dragons chief competitor that was based on the OGL for Win- or Windows <laughs> for Windows 3.5 uh, for Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 when they announced fourth edition and they were going to move forward and leave all of the 3.0 3.5 stuff behind. The- Paizo was like, "Well, we have a fan base of people who are buying our our publications now, and Wizards is pulling back the." Um, the contracts to publish the two magazines we we're doing for them. So we're just going to revamp Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 even further and clean it up some more. And they called it Pathfinder. And, and D&D fans often call it uh, D&D 3.75. And they just, they ran that for about 10 years and they just now started, uh, they transitioned over to their second edition. So basically a a small a smaller publisher became a major player in publishing because of this ogl which i think executives at hasbro are really like what why did we ever do this because because like fourth edition was really really divisive in the dungeons of dragons community because it had a lot of gameplay elements that um in the system kind of adopted what was going on in mmos and other video games so like 
the different classes suddenly became very samey you know like everybody everybody has an ability they can use once per battle and they have this ability that does something but also heals themselves and like all that kind of stuff and it became like yeah we're all just different there's different fluff but we function almost equivalently and uh so basically they ended up giving up a huge chunk of market share to a competitor company because of this whole thing and now with fifth edition they've started to recover a lot of that market share and i'm not sure that it's quite as divided as it once was i think a lot of the fans have shifted back to to legitimate not legitimate but like the original ip but yeah uh so skippy says like pathfinder sprung out of that and then he also said some of the really bad stuff like the aforementioned book of erotic roleplay. yeah there's some pretty yucky stuff and all that i just think it's cool that dc is tapping into the popularity of what's going on dungeons and dragons is bigger than it's ever been before so if somebody's going to do some awesome sword and sandals comic run and have it really break out maybe this could be something that's huge for them since they are lagging pretty significantly behind Marvel as far as sales are going and everything. So. Um, I'm sure that's all cool. My fever brain went, "Uh uh-huh. Of course it did. Well, then you would have done, you would have ahud me even if you weren't fever brain. (laughs) It makes sense. But, um, I don't, I don't play D and D. I'm admittedly not a big D and D fan. Um, so I wish I would have known before I agreed to come on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I have nothing to well, contribute as I know nothing of D&D. Tony, how do you feel about Baby Yoda? Uh, Joe Manganello plays D&D. He's going to some schools or something, so that's cool. You know. Ben Diesel plays D&D. So, Tony, don't step on it again this time. How do you feel about Baby Yoda? You know who else plays D and D? Um, I mean, what is there? What is there to? What is there to feel? You know, he got punched. That was kind of funny. <laughs> oh fuck! I, um, Damn, you are a monster. <laughs> well, in true story, so I watched. I watched um, Mandalorian probably a month late or a month after it came out. You know, so Baby Yoda was was on and popping at that point. So it was just hilarious to me that he got punched. I, I don't know. I I'm I'm sorry. It was it was hilarious. Oh boy. You're uh, a devil. Uh resident mod Nicole says Tony is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We've talked about in the past how cancel culture isn't a real thing. Like it, it's a bunch of nonsense, but you just got canceled. <laughs> not even I'm not even supposed to be here. So yeah, well. Settle down, Dante. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh I guess I'll pick up this. Okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. You know what? It wasn't gonna, just you know, one punch. He like continuously punched. <laughs> punch. Oh my god! There's a there's, there's a ten hour than... loop, a ten hour loop of <laughs> Yoda getting punched or Baby Yoda. So what's better, the the ten hour loop of Baby Yoda getting punched or uh, Yaskir from The Witcher getting um, O Valley of Penis for ten hours? I didn't watch The Witcher. <laughs> Tony. Okay, Tony's so, like, is that popular? Nah. 
<laughs> I'm gonna watch more Golden Girls. <laughs> no. <laughs> Whoa. Hey now. See. Just... <laughs> if I know anything about Tony P. Henderson, it's that he's definitely on that Golden Girls, Queer Eye. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There's something else I know that you watch. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so true story. Since I'm just uh, hijacking the show here, oh, uh, I got this as a gift but uh <laughs> the person who got it for me didn't like it was like the cheaper version and she's like no no we're not doing that <laughs> so i literally have two of them um this is like the the dollar store version and this is the deluxe version uh-huh so those are gonna stay there now as we record i, I like how the dollar store version is slightly smaller than the legitimate <laughs> version <laughs> I saw that. Thank you for being. A I was at Target and I saw that and I thought I got it for you. Apparently, if I did, it's in my closet somewhere because you said she got you something. No, it was from from Jessica. But okay. thanks, Charles. He's well, thanks for trying to jump on our gift. If, well, <laughs> I, if I if I did buy it, I didn't give it to you, so I'm still a dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, I made you, Tony. Fuck off. Right now. I whoa. Just, <laughs> I. I <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to point out that we don't need any further proof that Tony's been hanging out with Charles any more than Tony admitting that a 10-hour loop of some white guy beating <laughs> beating a small minority child is the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Guys, it's a puppet. I'm sorry. Paul, I'm sorry. read the goddamn no, yeah, story. You, you love heart, puppets, Tony. too, Tony. I do. Tony. I do love yeah. You love, love puppets. puppets. I do love puppets. Like, like I've literally heard you at Dragon Con, to, like to random people walking by, I'd be like, hey, do you like puppets? <laughs> Did you know that you can go to the museum to puppetry Hell here yeah. in Atlanta? <laughs> and like, I've seen you like, yeah, you've gotten I, up I on do. your pulpit and been like, puppets are great. Yeah. You know what's great about them? You can punch them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Would you say that about NWP? No. <laughs> Never mind. We'll move on. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, that's my favorite puppet-related throw. No, so, but this is just kind of, this. This article is just a throwback to what we talked about. Was it last week or the week before? Uh, Disney cracking down on the Etsy shops, selling the merch that they decided mm -hmm. that they had to protect their secret on. Um, more than anything, like it sounds like a drop in the bucket into you know Disney proper and Lucasfilm. It probably is, but this there's this article is estimating that they've missed out on five million dollars worth of sales in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. And so they've, they've shut down two, it, it appears that two main Etsy shops were given um, takedown notices. A lot of Etsy shops are just changing the verbiage, not calling it Baby Yoda, but uh, the, the child, the baby child, things like that. Um, what's up? They missed out on $5 million in the fourth quarter, of which they've gotten zero of because they didn't fucking launch shit for that show in the fourth quarter. So they didn't miss out on shit. They didn't launch a goddamn Baby Yoda toy. Well, that's what he's that's talking, what I'm talking about. Like because these people. Have but made it all says the lost money. sales profits inevitably cost no. them. In yeah, the article, you and, you and Chris agree with each other. I know. Right? I know. I'm not yelling at Chris. I'm fucking yelling yeah. at the mouse. Fuck off. You got yeah. nothing. You dumb dick. I yeah. feel like what Charles is saying is like that Disney didn't put anything out. Right. You okay. Know. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Um. And yeah, obviously that's going to be a high estimate to, to support their cause. Yeah, know, but yeah, it's. I mean, you, you you can't claim to you know. You, I guess you can't claim capitalism as a defense to gobbling everything up and then get pissed off when somebody swoops in under your capitalistic radar and you know capitalizes on your non-realized capitalism. Uh 
it's of course it's shitty for them to go after these Etsy shops, but honestly, it's just more of them protecting their IP like they would mm-hmm. anything else, like going after a fan film or something if you know they weren't careful about their. No, absolutely. But yeah. another good way to do that is you know be first to market. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but like they shouldn't have to be. You know, that's that's like saying, oh, just because you didn't do it first, I get to steal it. Um, <laughs> there, there was a space open. Is all I'm saying. Like I, I just. <laughs> Is, that's that is the point of capitalism is it not and then if the um, market wants something and you can provide it well but with, with your own ip you know that, that's the problem yeah. um and I, I i'll be honest i'm surprised they hadn't done that sooner i'm surprised a lot of these um like artists get away with using so much ip at like cons and things i'm a little uneasy with it like you know it is what it is but it's it's always been odd to me so one of those things that has always seemed like it's very much on the line of like what you would think is okay or not okay and i mean there's a lot of a lot of artists who make a lot of money off of doing stuff based on other people's ip but i mean similarly do not comic artists do the same thing like technically just like rob liefeld for example just because he created Deadpool, he still does Deadpool art for people, I'm sure, like when he gets commissioned or whatever at a show. Or, or they'll do other art, like, oh, you want me to draw Batman with Deadpool? Okay. You know, and they right, drive stuff a, like other, that. Yeah. yeah. And it's like he doesn't own the character. You know, he, he gave that character up. Uh, it's so it's, fact, that's, that's why he left Marvel. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah, and that was the whole, yeah, the image renaissance of the 90s. That's what it was all about, is they wanted to own their characters and their properties and their likenesses. But um, we see how that all worked out, because they all circle back around. Uh, to me, to me, it's kind of like jaywalking, you know, like, it's illegal, but no one's really monitoring it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like jaywalking and murder. Like, it's like, no, oh, no it's one like- really cares. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, I mean, attention. I, I think there's a, I think there's a, a, a slippery slope there. I mean, I, Paul's not wrong. I mean, because then we're talking, we're talking the difference between a small Etsy shop and I don't know China. Yeah. 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 So right. Yeah. Just... <laughs> well, I mean, that's the other issue is you know because we we live in a world where Disney has the power to to reach out to Etsy and be like, you need to shut down these handful of shops or at least threaten to shut them down until they stop selling this stuff that infringes on our IP. And then there's an entire continent-sized country that's like, "Eh," like, we acknowledge that IP exists, but we don't really enforce it that much unless you really lean on us. And it's like, to touch back on a, a bigger story from last year, when the Chinese government finally cracked down on Lepin, which was the Lego... The, the counterfeit Lego that was making very minimal efforts to pass themselves off as anything but Lego, mm-hmm. you know, basically stealing box art and just changing Lego to Lepin or Star Wars to like Star Wars or, or warts or something like that. You know what I mean? Like they were, it was pretty egregious. It basically took a huge corporation finally throwing money at the government and being like, will you shut them down finally, please? Like, They've been infringing forever. So it, it's uh it's weird. The whole thing is weird. But yeah. 
Yeah, it is weird to see them crying about money that they could have had. And also, like, okay, so yeah. we we got into this before, right, Chris? You and I got into it on the show about about the Baby Yoda merch, and I was yeah, like, well, yeah. well, I don't know that we it, got into it, but I mean, we we well, talked about it a couple weeks ago. We talked about it a little bit, and it was yeah. like yeah, I, I kind of into it. I defended a bit the fact that Favreau asked Disney not to just, you know, baby Groot the crap out of this and like flood the market with all this stuff for it until it had a chance to to catch the zeitgeist like it did, let the surprises happen and everything, and then, you know, obviously run with it a little bit after the fact. But I will say that def- despite defending that and wanting them to have a few weeks back in november and december where like we weren't just getting bombarded with the merch they very easily could have had products ready for post-holiday like because you know a whole bunch of new products come out in january Uh, lego star wars for example had like 10 different sets that came out so like toy manufacturers are releasing new lines of stuff uh the action figures black series that hasbro makes they have a whole bunch of new stuff that came out after the holidays. Like these toy manufacturers want to have strong quarter ones. So why didn't you have stuff in the pipeline? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I mean, so to me, cause what we talked about was I didn't understand why, you know, you're talking what third week in November was when we're introduced to baby Yoda. So even if you wait that second week, you can still release this merchandise in December. You still have to have it manufactured even if you were going to release it in first quarter, you were still going to have to have it ready. So you still have the same amount of opportunity for leaks to happen. Yeah. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like it's, you, you completely were just like, now nah, we don't need that money. Why would we want December money? That's yeah. Nobody gives money away like candy in December. Who does that? <laughs> it's one of the more curious decisions that Disney's ever made. That's, and, and I think that between Disney and Lucasfilm, I'm like merchandising juggernauts got yep. in a room together and we're like meh not for us let me let me ask you this though do you think baby yoda is not gonna make his baby yoda money oh no he will i think yeah, he could have yeah. made i think he could have made more and he definitely could have boosted fourth quarter well, sales for both manufacturers and disney but i think the bigger point of this article is the little guy who's making a little bit of money on it disney squashing them hard which is affecting all their other sales of stuff that they're selling yeah. on etsy because of these takedown notices, because they lost out on five. You didn't lose out on shit. You didn't go after it. And I understand you technically have the right, and they are notorious for shutting down everything that they can. But you're stepping on somebody who may have made a couple hundred bucks at best and put some food on oh, their Oh, no, there's, there's one. So uh, the two that they named, uh, Kit Kat, uh, Kat, Kit Kit Kat, the Cat Cat, they have not released yet. I think their looking target is probably going to be like second quarter this year. Um, but the two stores that they mentioned, there's one, the Hundred Acre Wood. I went to theirs. Uh, they don't have anything on the store anymore at all. So I don't know how bad their takedown was. The other one, your stuffed memories. I went in right now. She's all sold out. But she's <laughs> God. Let me go to page it's like disneyland uh, the happiest place on earth but outside of this we're gonna kick you in the balls and step in your neck six there's 24 of these baby yodas per page i'm on page five six of them that she's sold so far and she sells them for like 30 bucks a pop what are are they like little like dolls or something yeah they're like little plush dolls i'll, I'll, I'll put the link but uh it's um 
so i mean and it's quality like that's the the problems that i've seen with the for the official baby yoda merch that's coming out is i've seen you know like a plush body with that vinyl plastic head and i'm like that's not cuddly that's not what people want you know so the build a bear is probably the most is probably the closest thing to something that i think i've seen that people would actually want other than the stuff that's coming out of these etsy stores i mean nicole nailed it on the head in the chat when she said that you know large manufacturers will never make something as quality as these etsy people do i i think it's six of one half a dozen of the other sometimes it depends on if you're in it for the money or you're in it because it's something you like or if you have something that's that you can quick and quickly re uh, easily reproduce and still be cute like this this one um i i think she's right but there i've seen i've seen some junk on etsy and Dude, i have, a, oh, I have <laughs> a pop vinyl at my desk at work that someone said oh is that baby yoda i was like no it's just regular, regular yoda, yoda. <laughs> but it was just uh like the way the artwork looked it was very cartoonish <laughs> and had big eyes and stuff and they're like it might as well be baby yoda and i was like yeah just i'm sure they have yoda stuff you know, just slap a child label on it or something. It, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't seem that hard. Yeah, it's the whole situation is kind of weird. The whole Etsy culture thing is kind of weird, though, too. It's uh, Nicole ran into getting smacked down by, uh, I think it was uh, T Public, right? Is the site that we offer our merch through? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, she set up a shop for herself and she did. Um, this really neat uh basically like she was like oh you know help me kind of brainstorm ideas for stuff to do for like to do like because she does art on stream sometimes and i was like oh you know what you should do is do mr mime from pokemon but do it as pennywise because oh, nice. it part two had just come out and i was like that would be really cool and she did and she did this awesome you know piece of art and colored it and everything she did all that on stream and it was awesome and she uploaded it to t public as a you could get it as a sticker or you could get it as a like a t-shirt or a sweatshirt and she ordered herself a sweatshirt and she now owns the only existing <laughs> piece of apparel that has her art uh that that we dubbed uh, penny mime uh her crossover mashup art on it because the moment she ordered it they shut her store down the store just took the product down no they shut her store down it took her wow. like over a month to get her 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 uh store back and basically because we had to put in a like an email of like hey we didn't there's nothing technically there's nothing copyright infringing here this is not it is neither actually pokemon nor actually it it is a mashup mashups are supposed to be fair use fair use it's transformative enough. right it's transformative and it's it's original art she's like i drew she's mm -hmm. you know i helped her write the email and it's like i drew this <laughs> i drew this on stream you know like it, like you can watch me doing it and uh yeah the moment the, and they still send her the shirt so and she wears it all the time it's awesome so she she has the only existing piece of apparel with her decal on it and it's like meanwhile you got sites like t fury and, and other ones that and ripped that publish a new very clearly ip infringing piece of work every single day but they only run it for a day so like they're not affected by that stuff because they they sell a few thousand pieces of that shirt on that day and then they move on like they they have people pumping out 
fan art, if you will, for them to publish. And since they're not continuously selling any one of those things, they they get the takedown notices and they're like, oh yeah, we stopped selling it already. It's not a problem. You're right. Yeah. We comply. And that's the nice thing about Ripped. And I think T-Fury does it too, and to an extent is they are not disgusting with their watermarks <laughs> and they do give you, as you, you know, you're surfing those images from the past, they give you nice quality images that you can pull if you want to use them for... Mm-hmm for whatever and like you can you can you know obviously you can have it with the ripped logo on it or not because they put it in a place where it can come down pretty easily but Mm -hmm. it is it is nice that they do that for for stuff that you know may never see the light of day again through their site they do have some that on on a rotation that they bring back every once in a while but for the most part unless it's sold you know ungodly amounts of of shirts or something they don't bring it back it, it's a mess, and I actually, I for for that part of the conversation, I actually put it for our after show for Patreon to really get into our thoughts on these companies and the fly-by nights versus stores like Nicole's and ours and and those kind of things. Um, I mean, it is what it is. in that in this case with Baby Yoda, it is it is is what it is. Mm. You can't fight. I'd like to announce, I do have some new shirts coming though. They're um, little Broda. <laughs> um, it's just a coincidence. Is, are there? Is it just like a chibiized version of you right now? Yes. <laughs> like, get your uh, little cup of tea. Yeah. He's... <laughs> you say that, but I know people that would buy a Tony P. I would, I would, I would buy, buy it. That. I would buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah. I I oh, get wait, the handy um, hoodie. Still, I am gonna still launch some uh, a line of Tony P. Illos. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. <laughs> um, so uh, Cyberpunk, they they uh, pushed their release back, and everybody went whoa. I think just Keanu Reeves went whoa. Whoa, <laughs> he is. So anyway. yeah, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven's been pushed back. It was supposed to come out in April. It's been pushed back to September. Now I I couldn't run down the link to the article I read a little bit earlier today. But there is a there's a technically unsubstantiated article out there from a I guess it's a Polish person who has like an in track on what's going on in the Eastern Bloc, you know, like developers and stuff like he's part of that community. He knows what's going on. He says he's talked to a few insiders and. The issue that they apparently are running into is Cyberpunk is not running well on current gen consoles. The game is done. They're doing, you know, the typical pass through, clean up the bugs, all that kind of stuff. But they finish the game. Uh, but apparently, it runs like crap on uh, current gen consoles. In particular, the Xbox One, regular Xbox One. I don't believe they have an issue with the Xbox One Pro. Or uh, probably not, or sorry, not Pro, the Xbox One X, which is their version of the PlayStation Pro idea of like the upgraded, you know, mid-cycle, mid-life cycle upgrade to the console. Uh, I don't know if they have the same issue with the PlayStation 4 or the PlayStation 4 Pro. Uh, I imagine they probably don't because I do think it's a slightly higher performing machine. But it's an interesting little bit. I wonder, honestly, because I listen to Stadia Cast all the time with Run Jump Stomp. Uh, I wonder how it runs on Stadia. I know they're working on that as well. 
Uh, that could be interesting. It's I, I believe Stadia is just running, you know, it's a giant server farm of what's essentially a PC, so it shouldn't really have a problem with it. Right. So, and since it's a single-player game, you know, story-based game, the input lag isn't going to necessarily be a huge thing. So, yeah, it's a whole... One, one thing interesting to me is you almost can't win for losing... Uh, you know, they could have rushed it out and had it been garbage and met their deadline, which back, uh, you know, back when I worked in the industry, um, they would do that a lot. They would try to meet these summer deadlines. Yeah. Uh, and then you'd hear about that or say, yeah, we're going to wait. We want to do it right. Then you hear about that. You know, so I don't, yeah, you know, it, you, you, you can't win. I mean, these we, we've been talking about this and I'm going to use the Royal Wii since, you know, uh, from the helicarrier days. I mean, I think you're right you're in a you're, you're rocking a hard place but i think at the same time it, it comes down to communication and consistent communication from the company like i don't i've never expected exact deadline timetables time unless you've got product in cases cellophane wrapped and it's like in boxes going <laughs> going to be shipped then then give me an exact date that you're going to have a release but before that if you tell me that your target is early third quarter and it gets to mid second quarter and you're still trying to push stuff and you're like hey we're going to pump the brakes a little bit, give us a little more time. At least you're being upfront with me. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't go radio silent. And then, and then, you know, go beyond the original date that you said that's, that's, that's where it becomes problematic for me. Well, yeah. So this is like a, basically a half a year pushback. It's about five months. Um, But this is also, it's January, you know, so this was going to come out in three months (laughs) and they're letting us know now that it's not going to come out for seven months, eight months, eight months. Um, and they're saying that they're, they're taking the time to polish it up and make it, it, you know, basically as polished as possible. Uh, I think they're communicating adequately. Uh, this just happens to come on the heels of like some other big pushback announcements as well. You know, um, Square Enix with the Avengers title that they're working on and also Final Fantasy VII Remake. They both got pushed back to later in the year. There's been a couple other projects that have been uh, Animal Crossing was very um, high profile last year was announced that it was pushed back. Uh, Part of what's going on here, I believe, is some of these studios are trying to adapt to the new, to all the bad publicity that the crunch culture has, you know, been, it's been getting highlighted in media and the community, like the, the fans are starting to kind of speak out and say, listen, yeah, we want to play your games, but we don't want you killing your developers and ruining their lives to get there. Uh, we can wait a couple more months if you guys want to spread your workload out a little bit so that you're not, you know, yeah, all riding the lightning into the grave just to get a game pushed out on time. So there, that might be another thing, too. So a lot, like I know a lot of publishers have been like putting hard caps on work weeks and stuff like, yeah, you, you can't stay beyond a certain point. Or, um, I mean, there's always that last minute crunch and that they've acknowledged that. Like, I think all the major publishers have basically been like, listen, we're going to try to be better about this, but you have to realize the last couple of weeks before a game comes out, we're going to all hands on deck anyways. Like, that's going to happen. That has to happen because we have to put out all the fires right before it pushes. But I don't know. It's, uh, I don't think it's the biggest deal. I think this game is going to sell well regardless. I think it would have done... I mean, it would have been gangbusters coming out so hot on the heels of the Witcher uh, television program being so successful for them. 
because uh, CD Projekt Red is the developer for this game, which is also the same developer behind The Witcher 3 and then the other Witcher games. And uh, I know that The Witcher 3 sold like gangbusters because of the television show. Like the moment the television show hit around the holidays, all of a sudden, like they were, people were pushing, publishing articles talking about like, Witcher 3 is suddenly one of the most played games on Steam, for example. And isn't it wasn't isn't Witcher 3 like highly discounted at this point? Yeah, oh yeah, it's yeah, often so... deeply discounted. <laughs> like you can get the game of the year edition for 75% off in a holiday sale or a summer sale or something like that. Um and it's 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 kind of hit that whole like the um yeah, the Bethesda games kind of hit that cycle right where eventually they start getting discounted so deeply that you buy the game of the year edition just to get the DLC you missed that's the point that the witcher's at is like it gets discounted so deeply that people circle back around to pick it back up with the dlc that they missed out and go back in and and play that content that they didn't get to but yeah for the first couple weeks after the show came out it was one of the most played games on steam which is insane because it's you know it's a single player you know story-based rpg that is at this point like six or seven years old i think is as how long it's been so the good news is that CD Projekt Red's not going to be hurting for money. They just got a huge cash injection from that because it, along with people playing it, were also sales. Like it was the holiday time. We had holiday sales. People were buying it. So they were getting revenue to come in uh, that they might not have gotten otherwise. So uh, so The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is five years old almost mm-hmm. and uh, overwhelmingly positive in recent and all reviews on Steam. And currently without a sale, thirty nine ninety nine for the regular version or forty nine ninety nine for the game of the year, which has the DLC in it. Mm-hmm. I I remember seeing it for like twenty bucks or something. Yeah, because I remember distinctly going, "Hmm, maybe I'll get it." Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't, but <laughs> I, I remember it hitting that like really low point. It also just had the Switch port come out recently as well. Yeah. So, uh, which. <laughs> when I when we saw footage for it, I was kind of down on because I was like, so one of the beautiful things about The Witcher Three is it's a beautiful game, a very high graphic fidelity, and it did not port well to the the Switch is not a you know hardware a strong hardware device in the sense of like you're getting the best possible graphics out of it like you would get out of a PlayStation Four or an Xbox One. Uh, I believe your tweet or comment uh, somewhere in social media to Bill run of Nintendo Switchcraft was uh, it looks like dog shit. <laughs> I don't think I said dog shit, but it does. It was uh, close. It, it, I'm, I'm it, it looks it, the Switch port initially looked like you were playing it on a potato. <laughs> okay, but yeah, it was bad. Um, Kit Kat in chat says uh, the Witcher books too had a huge sales boost just because of the TV show it was back ordered at the local Barnes and Nobles and other booksellers a couple of weeks ago. I added the other booksellers. Yeah, that was a thing. Um, the books have been gangbusters as well. Like uh, there's a big reorder. Like they're, they're doing this crazy uh, republish of the books to get them out for the, to meet the demand, which is awesome. You know, it's incredible that, something that people were kind of down on initially just becomes like this kind of you know 
little touchstone moment in pop culture where it is suddenly huge again and a video game that's five years old and a bunch of books that have been out for like 20 years suddenly are selling like gangbusters again so much so that you can't find them i've actually heard stories that like people who work at like barnes and noble and other booksellers are like i get harassed on a daily basis by people who want to buy these books and we don't have them and i'm just like i'm sorry we we're sold out we just don't have them so you know check typical. your local library people you know who does have them amazon <laughs> i actually i'm not sure that that's the case i think amazon might be sold out too <laughs> like that's the thing it's it's one of those things where you know even amazon with their giant warehouses full of uh, abused workers, even they run out of stock eventually. Uh, and apparently, The Witcher has a graphic novel that you can buy on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So they're also actually. Uh, so I didn't have this in the notes, but since we're talking about The Witcher, they just Netflix just announced that they're doing an animated show for The Witcher as well. Oh, nice! That will come out presumably before the next season of the The Witcher live action because. Uh, we're not getting The Witcher live action until 2021, reportedly. Uh, that's their production schedule on that. I imagine that's probably because Henry Cavill has commitments to make films between then and now, that so he can't start production until later on down the road. Uh, so that's I, I'm not saying this definitively because I don't know what their expected launch date for the animated stuff is, but if they're getting all the same actors to do the voice work for the animated show... I would hope that it would come out before the live action comes out, if possible. So it might be a nice little bridge thing. But uh, people are making jokes about how we're getting side quests already. But like <laughs> the whole first season was technically kind of like side it quests. Kinda was. So uh, also to that note, if you're on the fence about The Witcher, like Tony is, you could go listen to Nicole and my show, Crash Test Pilots, because we covered it. <clears throat> Shameless plug. <laughs> I'm not on the fence though. That's the thing. Like I'm, I'm good. I'm good right now. <laughs> yeah. I've been watching a uh, uh, Shit's Creek. Yeah, everybody's talking about Shit's Creek lately. And uh, Twelve Monkeys. Uh the series. Twelve Monkeys, really? The sci-fi show. Yeah. No, no, I'm aware of it. Like it. Yeah. I gave that a try. I watched a few episodes at one point. Uh, and all, in all seriousness, man, it's supposed to be like one of the best series of all time. I read an article because I, I, I guess it wrapped this year. Mm-hmm. And people are like, yo, it's up there with Breaking Bad and The Wire. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that off the first excuse couple episodes. Excuse me. So the first, um, the first season, three quarters of the first season is a lot of just like sci-fi episode of the week. And, you know, mm-hmm. he goes to a new location. It's kind of like Quantum Leap. Um, and towards the end of the first I'm starting to see like, oh, here's a bunch of threads and it's about to get crazy. And so I, I feel like um, towards the end of the first season, it kind of takes a shift and jumps off into some crazy land. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll keep you all posted because I'm with you. You know, I, I was powering through it, but I was like, this is just. That's wild because I, I did give it a chance because I had seen similar buzz like a year or two ago. And I like I started watching the first few episodes, and I was like, "It's not bad, but it there's nothing to write home about." Yeah, yeah, there's there's nothing here that like explains why people would gush about it, like say, you know, The Mandalorian or The Witcher or uh, like something like Dark, you mm-hmm. know, that's that's kind of a cult 
breakout, you know, where people are talking about it kind of in like the dark corners of, yeah. you know, the, the internet and stuff. Where you hang out. So is yep. it just, is it more that they altered the way they formatted the show? That that's, that's the hook because if you weren't appreciating the show to show story versus maybe a full thread. Um, um, you know, you know, someone told me once, uh, the beginning of Buffy, you know, Buffy's amazing. People love Buffy. Um, but the vampire slayer, if there's any confusion, um, but you know, like the first season, the first like 12 episode half season arc is just monster of the week. And then until they get into all their mythology and, you know, the other characters and what's going on with them is, is when it really starts to, to take off. Uh, so I feel I feel it's similar with 12 Monkeys. It's there's you know, the, the premise of the show is there's a, a epidemic pandemic. I don't know the difference. Um, and they go back in time and try to stop it. And essentially it's go here and stop this person. And they get there's like, oh, womp womp. I mean, actually, go here. Oh, OK, stop this person. And so it was seven or eight episodes of that. And you're like, this is just getting a little lame. Mm-hmm. Um and and then, like I said, there, now there's more. Where I'm at right now, there's more than just that. Okay, mm-hmm. but it's so it would have been nicer, I, I guess, if you wouldn't maybe feel like you wasted your time with those first few episodes. It hooked you from the beginning. I don't know, like uh, one of those Netflix original shows that you were talking, Paul. Uh, like Altered, Altered Carbon. Carbon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's because there are some shows that are like. Well, it's interesting that you say that, though, Tony, because there's a lot of like, particularly sci-fi shows that start off for some reason they have to be formulaic and be like monster of the week for a while. And like, then eventually they're like, by the way, we've established our, our mythology for you now. And we're going to actually tell some real stories here. And we're not going to just be, you know, deal like problem this week dealt with moving on problem this week dealt with moving on. Uh, Speaking of shows that are not like that though, altered carbon season two, just got announced for February. I believe it's uh, the 22nd, if I recall correctly. So that'll be dropping. Uh, that gets a little thing clap. Yeah. I love it. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I know I just plugged my other show, Crash Test Pilots. We also covered Altered Carbon, and we speculated on our episode. We recorded it like two weeks ago. We speculated that we thought that maybe it would drop in February because it would be about two years since the last season came out and lo and behold, we were right. And so we're excited about that. You had a one in 12 shot though, didn't you? No. (laughs) So Netflix had said that it season two was done and that it was in post-production, but they did not give an expected date at all. Gotcha. So we didn't even know it, it was this year. I think Quite we frank. knew that it was probably this year. I think they like had basically acknowledged they expected it to release it this year, but we had no idea what the timetable was going to be. But it, again, it's uh, it had come out in February of 2018, so it seemed logical that um, it would come out in February if possible. One big note here is there is a major casting change. Uh, without spoiling too much about what's going on with the show, the main character will not be Joel Kinnaman who was in season one, it is Anthony Mackie this season. So if you haven't started the show yet, be prepared that when you see advertisement for season two, you're going to see a whole lot of Anthony Mackie, you know, Falcon from the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe 
in advertising and you're going to be like where's anthony mackie because he's not in that entire first season there's a reason for that well then you weren't paying attention in the first season yeah Yeah, because they (laughs) they changed well i'm just saying like if if they hadn't yet watched the first season yeah if you pick up the show and you're like all right like we're where's my boy falcon like yeah hey hey honey let's watch this new anthony mackie show (laughs) (laughs) just came out oh why do i gotta watch this dumb suicide squad guy what the heck you know except that alter carbon he's brothers ain't that right charles that's right tony (laughs) wow that was some capitulation you know um (laughs) that dude was also um robocop right the new RoboCop. The RoboCop I, I never loved him, but I really did get attached to him in, in Altered Carbon. And then I was kind of sad, yeah. like, oh, it's it, we're switching it up. Well, I like this guy now yeah. who I was crapping on in the beginning, you know. Well, you know, so what's interesting about that is I saw the RoboCop reboot and I was like, it, it was fine. Like, I actually, th- I thought it looked great. Like, uh, the visual effects and everything and the you know the robot designs and all that kind of stuff was cool it was just kind of a it was an uninspired remake that didn't rehash yeah Yeah. it was kind of a complete rehash there wasn't anything super noteworthy (laughs) that set it out as being different so it's halo master edition remastered hd 4k pretty much yeah Yeah. for for robocop yeah Uh, but it does look cool i actually want to go back and watch it again now because like you tony i became a bigger fan of the actor after altered carbon because yes. he was great he was on altered carbon season one uh but he was terrible in suicide squad which isn't his fault because the writing for rick flag in suicide squad was terrible like i always quote like the worst line in that whole movie is when they're in the chopper and they just introduce katana and he turns and looks at somebody i think he's looking at dead shot and he's like that's my girl katana her sword will seal your soul and i'm just like holy crap that is the worst exposition in dialogue i've ever seen ever and his delivery of it is like he knows how bad this line is and he's just like here it is i'm trying to be badass military dude and yeah you gotta go with direction too they told him to play the character that way oh yeah Yeah. and it's you can (laughs) you can only do so much with what's on the page and like yeah here's a really crappy line that explains the whole gimmick to katana as a character without giving her an intro scene at all like everybody else got you know so what i want to know is why do i not have the teaser on netflix to watch over and over again right now (laughs) you don't watch teasers on netflix i do i want to go in fresh i don't want to know anything about it i'm tired i'm tired of spoiler culture yeah (laughs) you're not even talking chris on some mutant i am too God damn it. <laughs> My powers have been thwarted. Um, so uh, also coming cool. out in late February here, the trailer, speaking of trailers that Charles won't watch, the oh, trailer yeah, yeah, yeah. for Clone Wars, the new season, uh, just dropped today as well. And that is coming out on February 21st. So the end of February is going to be hot and heavy for television shows coming back. Uh, it looks dope. Everybody's super, super hyped for Clone Wars coming back. Uh, the Filoni and his crew are picking up where they left off. They have some incredible storytelling set up for this season. Uh, they brought everybody back. They've been plugging it all really hard on the con circuit, like at Star Wars Celebration this past year. 
they did a panel where they talked about it and they had all the voice actors come on and everybody was super emotional about it because they this is a season that nobody knew that they were going to get to make mm -hmm. they everybody wanted to make more clone wars but there were no promises so yeah Chris, so what are your feelings on? Did you see the trailer? I of course I saw the trailer, <laughs> and it was so good. As soon as as soon as I got that notification, my uh, this morning I was bright and early this morning too that I got the notification. Um, I went and watched it, and I probably watched it a half dozen times a day. Just all the stuff with Ahsoka is nuts, and then the 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 five hundred first boys that are with her. Yep. And I, whoo, boy, there's some. Uh, you know, we get we get more Darth Maul um doing Darth Maul things uh it just it looks good the only ah yep <laughs> everybody needs to go watch that trailer it's uh, I, I mean I was pumped for it anyway knowing that it was coming but it just it now that it came the, still wait, yeah, it's, I, it, yeah, I, yeah yeah once it came I, so you kept pumping <laughs> yeah, kept I, coming, I, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yep, yep. I went back six times. Yeah, that yep. sounds like a porn addiction. <laughs> arcing, arcing ropes, Charles. Arcing ropes. <laughs> Tony, why? Why do you set this up, Tony? Why do you encourage the beast? I um, I told you I wasn't even supposed to be here. I just was asked to jump on. I don't feel like I'm contributing much. And then yet, it's like a substitute teacher. And all the kids are just, I just going bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Oh, no. No, <laughs> we do appreciate you, Tony, and uh, we're we're about to go to the the mid show break. So get the hell out of here. Oh, this is my chance to escape. Wait, what? what <laughs> can you can you tell me what's next on the agenda? Uh when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit of Crisis on Infinite Earths and the None. the future of CWDC stuff. No, nah. uh, we're going to talk <laughs> about some sad news about you know one of the the boys from the Monty Python troop. And we got some, yeah, we're going to get into our round table and, and chat a little bit. Before, so um, before you go to the, is there any, uh, golden girls? No. This Thank you next? for being a friend. Uh, are you doing maybe some, uh, queer eye or British bake off? Is that coming up? No. I said, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Goodbye. No. Is that my cue to go? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being our friend. Uh, when we get back from the break, we're going to be talking crisis. Breaking the Panel is made possible by you and other listeners just as awesome as you are. If you want to support the show and get a little something in return, just go to patreon.com slash breaking the panel because we do appreciate the help. So, uh, hey, everybody, we're back into the show. And as we get going for the Twitch stream, I am going to fix the camera. I will have to adjust it since Tony left, and that's fine. Uh, but, yeah, we're uh, Chris. I did tag you this week. I just finished up the Crisis crossover on CW. And since you were the legit only reason I know anything about Crisis, because back when I did panel by panel with Uncle George, you're like, you've got to read this book. And I did. And it, was, it was really good. Uh, immediately, I thought of you towards the end and, and messaged you. And what did you think of, of that show? And I loved it. I really did. I, there were there were a few things that I would have I, I would have liked to have seen. I mean, I, I don't know that I would have made huge story changes but uh like i would have figured out a way tried to figure out a way to include psycho pirate because he's such an integral yes uh, of that but um you know for for what they were able to accomplish uh throughout the thing and then you know with only two episodes left at 
in that arc is when they really started dropping the big bombs. And then that last episode, they were just like, oh, you know, we showed you some shit on these last four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Polly, remember when we were talking uh, when we did the uh, Dawn of Justice, not, not Dawn of Justice, the Justice League review, right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and I was like, man, this is their opportunity. Maybe they'll turn it around. And if not, they've still got Flashpoint to go back to. They really need to think about including these WB shows or these CW shows. And because DC has always got that safe space of the multiverse to go back to that Marvel didn't always have. Marvel's really starting to develop it more in the comics and stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, but DC, that's like, that's their OG realm is the multiverse. And this, yeah. this is, that's the easy reset button for them, right? What if I told you that Ezra Miller was in the last episode of Christ on Infinite Earths. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hate to spoil that for you. I'm just sure you're not going to get to it anytime. Well, okay. CW's already spoiled the shit out. If you follow Grant Gustin on Instagram or you follow CW, anything in the ads, they've been pumping the shit out of the fact that Ezra Miller was there. And if they couldn't, if it wasn't something that they could spend, you know, five minutes on, or what, I shouldn't say five minutes, like, you know, a couple minutes on, um, it was something they definitely they they threw some love to. Like they they gave us, uh, they gave us a, a snapshot of basically every live action DC property there is right now. And uh, in the past, they uh, they alluded to it or they they explored it. Um, I, I'm thinking Lois and Clark isn't the only thing is the only one that I don't remember seeing. Um, original Superboy television show. Yeah. Uh, and a few others, but man, they they had such nice hall, uh, touchstones to everything. Uh, Brandon Routh, they finally. Yeah. And he's finally in the show. He, I heard he got to play like three different characters that he's done. Yep. So he's he's played the Atom. He played Kingdom Come Superman, and then at the end, they don't really say whether or not. So it's it's kind of up in the air. It's interpretation whether he gets to reprise his role as the Superman that he played. I think he did. Brand returns, but. The only thing is, to me, I think it was, it was a combination of those two. Okay. I think that Superman is the one that became the Kingdom Come Superman, because at the end he's wearing basically the same suit, but instead of a black field, it's it's yellow like normal, but it's that same diagonal line for the S. Yeah. It's the only reason that I don't know that they're separate. The- um, it's it, it was wonderful. They they tied up everything that you wanted them to the, the what they were able to do with the cw shows is then to go away from that multiverse they don't have to figure out that plot that plot device to get flash over to earth 2 to cars world they they went from multiverse to one earth back to back to a multiverse but their kind arrowverse the arrowverse is yeah. one earth now is one earth titans are on an earth well i did like say like titans were on an earth and mm-hmm. and um doom patrols on another earth your swamp thing is on another earth. Yep. So there's at least shout out to that. But going back to Ezra Miller, greatest moment. They're doing the standard flash talk. Uh, it, I, they, and then Ezra, they're filling the suits. And he reached out, caresses his chin. Ezra Miller caresses Garrett Gus's chin. I laughed so hard at that. That cracked was, me. I was like, that felt like he was improv. Because Greg Gustin was kind of pulled back for a second. <laughs> they had this great back and forth about each other's suits. Like they were talking about what they liked about because it, it was it was Grant and his flash suit and Ezra and his. They're going back and forth about what they liked about each other's suits, and it was like all things that you kind like. It's shit that we've legitimately said on this show. Yeah. They were like, yeah. okay, so here's the armored one. Like I don't like the look of the armored one personally, but you know there's benefits to it, which were discussed, and 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 that's what Grant Gustin says. He's like so aerodynamic, and it looks like it's safer. Yeah. 
and, and, and like and, and, and Ezra Miller's just like, but yours looks so stretchy and comfortable. Uh, but before that, even he's like, oh, is this some kind of flash cosplay? You want a photo? Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and then they, you know, they did things. Uh, um, uh, guests, you know, guest appearances throughout. Uh, yeah. They had um, in the last episode, Marv Wolfman made an appearance um, as himself. Presumably, he goes up to get an autograph of Supergirl and and uh, and Car. And if you didn't know who he was, he's like, "Yeah, just make it out to Marv M A V M A R V." Um, you know, it, I mean, if you knew who Marv Wolfman was without the last name, you know what he looked like. But um, they didn't. They didn't have uh, George Perez. I did shoot. Uh, I I did shoot Shanda Panda. A text to tell her to ask George the next time she talked to him why he why he wasn't on. They did throw him a nod though. They uh, I think they were on Perez Pier or Perez Street at some point uh, when they were fighting the anti monitor. So they 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 threw a nod to him, which was good. A lot of visuals from uh, from across DC history uh, were were shown in the uh, in the show. Um, it was really good and it was fun. It yeah. was it was delivered the way those CW shows do where it was serious enough that they weren't just being wacky jokesters about it, but it was light enough that you were like, oh, I'm watching a fucking comic book show. Yeah. And the you first know? two episodes were kind of eh for me. Um, although Bert uh, Ward opening mm-hmm. up the very, very first episode was awesome. And it's like, it is like Batman 66 universe. The whole planet is all still set in the retro 60s. And you heard, and if you didn't know who Bert Ward was now, like you couldn't recognize, you hear, and his sweater is the Robin colored sweater for like, you know, kind of like his old costume. Um, but it was just going to end. I'll tell you, Chris, I, I, I can't remember if I talked to you or somebody else. I did not, I get why they changed it because. Infinite Crisis is a huge book with so many characters and so much depth. Crisis on Infinite Earths. I said what I said, motherfucker. Uh, wrong. I don't care. <laughs> crisis is different. Over the line. <laughs> Market, Market zero. It's a, <laughs> a bridge too far. That that yeah. believe that. Just All right. Wait. What Chris said. So I can finish my story. Um, I didn't like them changing it to Paragons. They didn't mm-hmm. find, and then the oh, all of a sudden, oh look! I know I sent you all over the planets and the universes and the multiverse, but guess what? Everybody's the Paragons right here. Oh, except the human one, he's still on this Earth. Oh, mm-hmm. what, uh, that was too easy. But then, as it got towards the shifting point, the midway point in episode three, right before the break, it, it really got serious. It really started playing into some of the things that happened in the book. And uh, John Wesley Shipp, you know, leaving the show that way was a fantastic. Uh, and and uh, Brandon Routh is actually supposed to be leaving the show. And I heard the news before Crisis, like they're writing him off the show. It's not his choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just was a thing that happened. Um, I expected to see that here, and it didn't. He's obviously still here at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earth. So. It's, um, it's, I think it's going to be weird going forward because people got yeah. that taste of of a, a Richard Donner, yeah, Brandon Rouse Superman in their mouth again, yeah. and they're like, you know, it wasn't his fault that that movie wasn't good. It was, yeah. it, it was Mr. Child Molester, yeah. but <laughs> which is what I've said for years. But he, you know, and so now they're, you know, they they've already greenlit this Lois and Clark show. We'll see how it does, but man, like. 
I don't I don't know how that show survives with this this shadow hanging over them, which is Brandon Routh, uh, you know, existing as Superman on another Earth. That the fans are going to be like, yeah, can we have him back? Can yeah. we have him back? You can please take your new Fifty Two Superman, shove him up your butt, and give us Routh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, so much of the stuff was cool. Like even when they when they went back to Smallville. Yes, um, that that was that was a good. They little, even like, played the music and it made my heart beat an extra beat. Uh, awesome. I would have liked to seen them getting uh, been able to get Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, yeah, Rosenbaum's uh, Lex Luthor back. Yeah, uh, that didn't work out because of scheduling conflicts. Uh, there were a lot of things that they were able to do that was surprising. Um, you know, one of the big gets that they wanted was they wanted uh, they uh, Nicholas Cage to 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 play Superman. Yeah, um, they they didn't get him back. Uh, but well, it's, technically, it's, it never happened. That was one of the things that the Superman was going to happen. happen. Yeah. Going oh, I know, happen. I know. I was, yeah. you know, Kevin Smith, all that jazz. But you know, I don't know. I think it would have been great had they done it. Um, I, I wish. Uh, I did like John Cryer though. John Cryer was mm-hmm. phenomenal. Like, because I've only seen him as, as the two guys, a kid in the beach house or whatever the hell that show is. Um, and he's not great there, but he was phenomenal as Lex Luthor. I thought it did really well. Um. I, I going back to that Lois and Clark reference. I really would have loved seeing Dean Kane. Absolutely would have loved to see Dean Kane mm. pop in into this. And I thought at one point I'd read. I guess it's a rumor story I'd read, but I thought we were going to get. And now it didn't even make sense when I say it, but I thought we were going to get classic Wonder Woman. Because I, I remember thinking when I saw the rumor that wait, well she's already in the universe as as um, the president. The for uh, yeah. Supergirl's world, or what was so, Supergirl's world? So I think that was it's it's the same with ISIS. They couldn't get ISIS. Um, well, they're busy ISIS. wrecking the Middle East. So, uh, well, oh, the um, but uh, they couldn't. <laughs> I can't. It was I can't remember what it was, but for some reason, and I can't remember if it had to do with the if it had to do with the costume or if it had to do with Linda not wanting to do it. It was something of I, I can't remember if it was that show specifically. Uh, one nice thing is, and we didn't get this in the Crisis crossover, but in the Batwoman episode from Sunday or Monday, uh, this this week's episode of, of Batwoman, we find out that that may very well be in the Nolan verse. Oh, that, nice! That's where that's where Bruce went because there's there's a comment that she makes. They're trying to uh, to do something with the the rails the rail system. And she's like, ever the, they're on independent controls ever since the Scarecrow incident. Oh, nice. So it's just a, it's just a throwaway line. But right. you know, anybody that knows Batman is like, okay, so there's only there's basically one thing she can be talking about, which explains why Bruce has been gone. So, um, and now she is in the Arrowverse. She's on the same yep. planet. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they literally brought every show back to the one planet now. Um. Uh, that's in the in the CW Arrowverse. All the shows are there. Uh, Spectre, Spectre uh, being a thing was really really cool. Because Chris, now this is where I'm fuzzy. Spectre was that a thing in the actual? Com- I know Spectre is a character. I know kind of what Spectre does. But was that was he actually a pivotal character in Crisis? Because I can't remember. Not not pivotal like that, but he did help. Uh, I want to say he because uh, he does get big. At one point, um, I think he's he's more of like a, a hold off point while the mystics are doing their thing. I think he's distracting. The okay, and so they just kind of brought it all down to a point, yeah. and that way you have. Um, no. Now that was that was, yeah. I'll tell you when. 
this is one of those instances where you you want something to happen, but you're like, I'm not sure if this is the right medium for it to happen. And when it does happen, you're like, yeah, this isn't the right place for this to happen. So they're basically all of your your titular heroes are in one spot, one time, and it's an empty construction site, right? And the anti-monitor comes out and you're like, oh, this is kind of lame. This isn't as, you know, grandiose as it is in the comic books. Can he at least get big? And then you're kind of like, yeah, they're I'm not sure that their special effects budget can handle it. And yeah. then he got big and you're like, yeah, their special effects Thanks, budget handle couldn't handle it. Yeah. So, I mean, I was glad that they did it, but, you know, and then you got to, you almost got to temper those expectations and just remember you're watching it on the small screen and you're watching it on the CW. But man, they, they, they're taking chances, which I guess yeah. is the main thing that I, I, is the takeaway from this like now imagine you had you know more dollars behind this to take to take those yeah. chances with and we got we've got to um i believe it's the golden age of comics with uh president luthor now set uh, he, uh, it's, it's modern age modern, modern, modern age. age modern age yeah it's, yeah. it's post golden okay but we got to you know i always thought that was a nice twist because now it makes it harder for superman to outright call him a villain because he's mm-hmm. the president and it's interesting. I'll be honest. I haven't watched any of the I CW mean, verse this year except for the crossover. I don't see it particularly difficult to call a president a villain, but <laughs> <laughs> micro machines, <laughs> eh? Yeah, Home Alone yeah. is bringing micro machines back. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So this is uh, this just hit my uh, my feed during the show. Apparently, Micro Machines are coming back to shows. Uh, they're expected to drop for fall of 2020. Uh, this is a, I don't, Charles, it might be a little bit too too late in your childhood, but uh, in my childhood, Micro Machines were the bee's knees. And, uh, you know, a lot of kids had them, and they were pretty rad, and they were, like, everywhere for a long time. And it's pretty neat that they're coming back. Not much more to say about that other than, like, another beloved uh, toy line from you know, the, the, the nineties could be making a resurgence. So I wasn't really big into micro machines by themselves, but once they started getting a hold of the, the star Wars properties, that's yep. where I started gobbling stuff up. But, um, man, you know, they just talked about this on this week's toy power, not this, this line, but I wonder if this is going to end up being a blind bag special line. Almost certainly. And that is <laughs> horrible. Yep. So horrible. Oh. Well, that's the direction the, because I believe the branding was used for Star Wars recently. They did blind bags mm. for Star Wars and they weren't. Every time I walked into GameStop, they were in the clearance bins and they'd sit there for months mm. at like 50% off. So, And to be honest, the, the meta, if you will, the zeitgeist of kids' toys are blind boxes now oh yeah i mean the lol surprise and for yeah. adults are the same thing like everything's so, blind boxes right yeah. now yeah. you know and it's weird they you know they're just talking about it on toy power and on the one hand like ben brought it up he, they they got a question from an audience member uh, asking you know if you could like what what do you hate in toys or what if, if you could do without one thing what would it be and he's like without a doubt blind bags i hate blind bags and like on the one hand i agree with them 100 percent because this year we kind of dipped our toe into the uh the lol surprise bullshit with for the little girl ben's always kind of like the blind bag stuff with you know like the lego fig the mini figs and things like that Mm. but on the other hand i'm like as you know as a as a ccg guy or a past ccg guy like i yeah i I fall into that i mean i i get it i i definitely love controlling what it is that i buy i don't necessarily 
like you know the gamble that you take when you buy these things but i, I get it and i understand why it's appealing to producers because it sells like hotcakes i am not as a parent i am definitely yeah. not in love with the price points oh of god these, these no, things. you definitely don't get what you get with a you know a collectible card game for these prices that's that's the big issue that i have with the blind bag and i come from a card game background as well i mean yeah. i've played magic the gathering and other games for years i've made a living off of magic the gathering uh but like the first thing that anybody who's serious about the finance side of magic will tell you is you stop opening booster packs like you stop cracking blind packs very early on because you're like there it's bad ev estimated value you know it's terrible value uh unless you're opening for an event where you're drafting and just playing out, out of what you're opening uh it's it's just awful so um like i'm i'm not in on a lot of toy collecting right now i mean i still follow marvel legends a little bit because i'll pick up the odd figure here and there uh but i am definitely still in on lego and i follow lego pretty closely they the the interesting thing about the blind bags for lego is it's like like they just had the dc line come out and it's pretty good but it's like it's such a weird mix between like a really super specific version of like batman or something that is like all right that's kind of cool but like is a kid gonna like this like is a kid gonna play with this Mm -hmm. Uh, or is it, it but the beautiful thing about lego is you can take those minifigs and pull the hands off, pull the arms off. Like you can literally, uh, you can take a minifig from Lego and dissect it into all of its individual parts. You can mash them up and you can make a whole bunch of new stuff. So if you get duplicates mm-hmm. there and there people build stuff all the time using like minifigure hands for like antenna and stuff on like robots and, you know, mecha and stuff like that. So there's a lot of ingenuity in Lego where like getting something that's a duplicate or getting a bunch of something that maybe you didn't necessarily were wild about in the chase for something that you really wanted isn't so bad, but the price point is rough, man. It's four Mm -hmm. or $5 per foil pack. And it's like, you've got one figure in here. Like, Mm -hmm. whereas if you buy an actual Lego set, you're getting, you know, X number of hundred pieces and you're getting like, let's say you're buying like a 20 to $30 Lego set. You're usually getting three or four minifigs in that. And it's like, so you're, you're getting a set to build with all of these pieces and also getting four minifigs. You know exactly what you're getting for say 20 or $25. Why would I see blind bags as a good deal then? You know, mm-hmm. like it's, um, and they actually, they just kind of like, they took a beating on the recent uh in fall of last year the second run that they the second set they did of the disney collectible minifigs came out and they sat everywhere like they got clearanced out just recently in the post-holiday clearancing they just sat everywhere like every walmart i walked into had like four cases of these things just Mm. sitting on the shelf because they couldn't get people to buy them and it's because if you look at it what what is in the packs it's like all super specific pieces and stuff like you can't take like a mickey mouse for example with his giant mouse head and be like it's a firefighter or something like that you know like you can't swap a couple pieces and make a mickey mouse or a goofy or something into a functional figure in your play so yeah that's something i I do have some experience with so blind bags are kind of like I think blind bags are great if you have the right product for it. I think Micro Machines is actually something that's not terrible for blind bags. Um, I would hope that they would put like two or three in a bag, you know, Mm -hmm. 
for like a four or five dollar price point. Uh, and I would hope that it's truly random because one thing I've seen products like this do sometimes is they'll do the blind bag thing and they'll have like two or three in it, but it'll be like there'll be only so many configurations of those two or three things. You know what I mean? So like if you get, it might be car A, B, and C, and then sometimes it's car A, K, and W, but it's always like if you get car A, you're definitely getting either B and C or K and W with it mm-hmm. kind of thing. If they, As long as they don't do something like that, where you can truly get some random stuff. Uh, and, you know, that's another thing too. Coming from a card game background, kids like to trade stuff. I mean, yeah. it makes, it creates some feel bad situations sometimes, but I honestly think that, I actually think that's valuable lessons for children to learn that, you know, the things you have have value, like the things that you like or care about matter. Mm-hmm. And so you have to assume some responsibility for your things. And if you are going to engage in bartering or trading with other people for stuff that you might want, hmm. you've got to, you know, understand that that's how economies work, you know? Yeah. Uh, one exciting thing that I, I'm hoping for with this resurgence of the toy line is hopefully we get John Mashita, Mr. Micro Machine himself back yeah. on commercials. So. That would be incredible. That'd be, That'd be super very cool. interesting. All right. To wrap up the episode, I got uh, <laughs> I got one bit of sad news that I want to talk about for just a few minutes because um, I'd like to reminisce a little bit with you guys, potentially. And then I've got my usual humble plug. We actually had two awesome humble bundles go up recently. I'll plug those at the end. But uh, in really sad news today, uh, Terry Jones of Monty Python fame has passed away. Uh, my understanding is he's been suffering from a neural degenerative disease for a few years. Uh, he's been in poor health as far as that goes. Uh, apparently it took away his ability to communicate effectively. Uh, so it's been a real sad thing. It's been something that's kind of been like, everyone's kind of known it's coming. He's been suffering from this form of dementia, uh, but he did pass away. And he is of course the second member main you know, troop member of Monty Python to pass away, predeceased by Graham Chapman 30 years ago, who passed away very young because of AIDS, uh, because he was a gay man, and, you know, lived during the epidemic of the 80s, and unfortunately didn't make it. Uh, So this is, uh, I honestly, I feel awful because this is going to be like, a lot of people are commenting, this is going to be the first, like, Mm -hmm. this is going to be the first domino. Uh, these gentlemen are all in their seventies and eighties. Um, we're probably, we probably don't have many more years with all the Python boys. Yeah. I've always thought, uh, it seems on like the last five to 10 years, every time I see Eric, he's just Mm -hmm. looking a lot more rough. Yeah, for sure. And they've all had, you know, prolific (laughs) careers beyond Python. Like, uh, Terry Jones, what's notable about Terry Jones is he directed, Holy Grail, Life of Brian, The Meaning of Life, and he went on to direct other great movies like Eric the Viking, which is one of my favorite low-key movies that nobody knows about, um, unless you're a like British comedy fan. Uh, he So he kind of was like one of the most important members of the troupe for their iconic entries into films that a lot of people know them for, uh, but he also did a lot of work with uh, historical specials later on in his career uh he was he did a lot of um documentary style television and was responsible for that and i guess he was also a 
bit of a historian himself, uh, an expert on Chaucer, of all things, mm. you know, so, uh, and he was Oxford educated. So, um, you know, he definitely, like he had cut his teeth in some serious academic circles. Uh, but it's a real shame. I, <laughs> one of my favorite things that people have been talking about is like, if there is a shrill woman in a scene, it is almost oh. certainly Jones. And it was, uh, he was the best of them <laughs> at playing a ridiculous female uh, gender bend character. Uh, so how about you guys? Like, I don't know what your relationship with Monty Python is. Charles, let's start with you. Like, did you grow up watching Python at all? Did you? So um, I honestly think it was my mom because my dad can still tell some of the jokes from the stuff. But uh, my mom, being the inherent preacher's wife, basically felt like everything they did was uh, sacrilegious mm -hmm. and was not allowed to watch it. So as a teenager, I discovered uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Uh, I, I've seen some of the, they had a, a sketch comedy show, a variety show of some kind on TV yeah. for a while. Yep, sketch show. Um, so I watched, I've, I've seen some of that since YouTube, you can find it on YouTube as an adult. Uh, definitely have never seen The Life of Brian just because I wasn't allowed to and then I just never got around to it. Um, so uh, I honestly cannot remember which one I got to see live at Dragon Con. It was uh, the first year I took Hugh there. And before I was the director of the tracks, so I could actually go to things. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy, we got to go we gotta go see him. I'm like, all right, I'm here to show you a good time. We'll go get in line. Big 2,000-person auditorium. Uh, walked in. I, it might have been Terry Jones, but honestly, I, I can't remember. I looked at his picture, and it didn't ring a bell, so it might have been. It definitely wasn't one of the more famous. Yeah, I mean, there's like one or two pythons that you see their faces all the time, right? Uh, it wasn't one of them, but... He was working on another movie project, but of course he's taking Q&A from an audience. And he essentially, and he was old then, um, and he essentially walked down to the front of the stage, because they're on a huge stage, and sat on the edge of it. He's like, I don't like this cold, standing line at microphones. Why don't you just come up and talk to me? And they did. And uh, somebody had made, this is the only way, the only way I made the connection to Monty Python, because they didn't introduce him that way. They talked talk about his directing, writing, Here's this new project, and people were asking questions. This lady made this this diorama in a shoebox. Of course, they had cameras to bit put on the screen so you could see better. Um, and it was this well crafted uh, the TV from the opening of the the Monty Python show, and it's just super well crafted. And he had tears. He he thought it was gorgeous, and he was just a cool dude. Who, I, again, it might not be Terry Jones, but that's my Monty Python specific uh, encounter. It was really cool. Do Do you know who it was? <laughs> You don't remember who You know was? what? Let me look at the cast and was I can it, probably did, Do you remember his accent? Was he American? Because there's one member that's American. It could be. Because um, Terry Pratchett is an author, but was not in Monty Python, right? Right. No. Because there's a there's a book series Gilliam. done. You're, there's Terry Gilliam. Terry, Terry Gilliam. Jones Terry... is the one who just passed away. Yeah. He was Welsh. Terry Gilliam don't... is the American. Oh, it's Terry Gilliam. That's who yeah, it was. He's, he, he's the guy who did all the animation okay. from from the movies and stuff so like he he was the squirrely american who and he's done some really avant-garde uh, uh films and stuff yeah his film uh, was a little like the don quixote that hasn't gotten off the ground yeah, yeah. <laughs> so chris pointed something out uh in the behind the scenes i was actually mistaken about chapman's death he passed away from cancer not aids it was 
he died in 1989, so it was during the epidemic. And yes, he was a, a gay man, but he did not die from AIDS. I apologize for that mistake. Um, it was cancer that got him. It was, uh, I believe it, yeah, throat cancer because he was an avid uh, tobacco smoker, mm. um, pipe smoker. But uh, yeah, so the um, one of the comments I saw in a Reddit thread today about Terry Jones is they saw him at Dragon Con behind the uh like backstage you know because they were a volunteer or whatever and they just like they had a brief moment to like kind of fangirl on him and just say hey listen you know you were hugely influential to me (laughs) as a kid and like you're a huge part of my childhood and I just absolutely love everything that you guys did and you're great and it just thank you for like enriching my life and the lives of millions of other Python fans like and uh, you know fans of your other work and they said he, he did the sweetest thing where he just smiled and patted him on the shoulder and said thank you and like <laughs> that's such as just like the perfect like response to just be like yeah you know because I mean how do, how do you respond mm-hmm. uh Chris, I'll get to you in a second. For myself, growing up, um, I discovered Python as a teenager. My best friend and I used to, we'd hang out at each other's houses on the weekend, and he had Life of Brian and Holy Grail on VHS. And so we would watch them all the time. Because, like, this is my friend that I grew up playing D&D with and stuff. So we would watch, like, all the action movies of the 80s and 90s, but we would also watch Python. So I cut my teeth on Holy Grail, but Life of Brian actually became my favorite Python movie. Uh, I actually like it more than Holy Grail, even though Holy Grail is a better movie because I love how subversive it is against organized religion and and Christianity and everything. And yeah, Charles, 100% understand why your parents would be like, no. (laughs) Because Life of Brian was until just recently banned in like Scotland and Ireland as a matter of fact, uh, in the Wikipedia entry for Terry Jones, it mentions that like three of his films were banned in Ireland until very recently. And I think there's still yeah. a theater in Ireland that it's I, like, I think there's one theater where it's still banned. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, Life of Brian, of course, is the story of Brian, the guy who was born in a manger right next to the manger that Jesus Christ was born in. And everybody thinks, you know, it's this whole thing. Like they live concurrently and it's like, it's wonderful. He was the Neville Longbottom, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it just, it's, I love those films. I I love the original show. Um, Really subversive, really foul for its era. Like, you know, the the sixties and then the seventies, like really pushing boundaries, Uh, you know, and and Terry Jones is a big part of some of like he was a little less in your face because uh, there there were factions within Monty Python that maybe not everybody realizes. Uh, Jones and Palin both went to Oxford, so they were writing buddies and they wrote a lot of stuff together and they were always like kind of allies in things that they were doing. And they kind of had a little bit of a higher brow approach to what they were doing, where Chapman and John Cleese they were close friends and they wrote a lot of their stuff together and they're more in your face and like shock value, you know? So a lot of the really shocking stuff out of Python was probably Cleese and Chapman, but some of the like really more clever stuff was often Palin and, uh, and Jones. 
So it's interesting to get that context and then look at like the skits and the films and see some of the best scenes and stuff. One of my absolute favorite scenes out of Monty Python, though, is the whole, uh, you know, we're an autonomous collective, like help, help, I'm being repressed. You know, well, we, I'm a king and it's like, well, I didn't elect you. Or yeah. I didn't yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that's, you know, that's a scene that has Terry Jones in it. Uh, Chris, how about you? What's your your python so my my dad always was a big benny hill guy and then um so that was my introduction to british comedy and then i don't remember if it was i want to say i was at home watching hbo you know one weekend when i was younger in my grade school is when i remember watched the first time i, was, I saw and now for something completely different um mm -hmm. and blew my mind and i th i keyed in on it because i you know british people talking i'm like ah, oh, dad likes that benny hill thing and i laugh at the at the dancing and the running and the girls and stuff um and i really liked it uh so my mom was always pretty open like again grade school when i'd go visit my mom i could stay up late on the weekends and watch snl mm -hmm. and you know so if i i can't remember if she had videotapes maybe of uh a flying circus or not but i know i got a pretty early introduction to flying circus through her and then through uh you know a meaning of life uh and, and then that just led into a holy grail and then life of brian um but yeah I, I loved it and then you know and then later as far as our childhood proper uh you know terry uh terry jones uh screen wrote labyrinth so oh so, yeah okay yeah so whatever you love about labyrinth there you everything. go everything yeah <laughs> um but no, I mean, you can't you can't talk about modern comedy without, you know, talking about the subversiveness and the the, the eloquence at the same time. And the yeah. I mean, every all the good things about modern comedy, whether it's this side of the pond or, or you know, modern British comedy, there is rooted pretty, pretty heavily in, in what these guys, what they were able to accomplish. So um, uh, and, and it's and a kind of a side comment that works into this. Because obviously, I don't think any movie theater would do research and like, oh, we're going to capitalize on the death. But the art house, somewhere, I mean, they play some mainstream movies, but they pride themselves in bringing older films back and doing some art house films. So the art house uh, film theater that I go to sometimes has been promoting that February, mid-February, Life of Brian, the original millimeter, 16 millimeter cut is going to be shown there. Um, and they already had, they've been playing it for months. And and not that they would capitalize. I don't think they're going to use that to promote, but you can say, you, you know, people are going to be like, oh, man. And yeah. he died. And oh, let's go watch it one more time. And that's that's a cool experience to know that you you have that joint experience with somebody and, and go to the theater. I strongly recommend you go, Charles. If you haven't mm -hmm. seen Life of Brian yet, okay. I think you you would laugh really hard, especially Probably. growing up as a preacher's yeah. son, like, you know, being raised in the gospel and everything. Like, you're going to see all that, like, it's. <laughs> Uh, uh, Jones, like one of the ones, one of the scenes that people's quote, people are quoting today is because uh, so in Life of Brian, Jones plays Brian's mom. So, you know, he and he lives with her. So it's like he's doing one of his really bad women, like great but bad women impressions. And he gets his really shrill voice. And uh, they're all like, they think Brian's the Messiah. And he's like, no, 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 he's not the Messiah, he's a naughty boy. <laughs> and it's just this awesome scene. There's so many great scenes in that yeah. movie. I, I, I think most people consider Holy Grail to be the better movie, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just like love Life of Brian. I love the bits from it that are just so funny to me. Um, 
it's just yeah it's and yeah to what you were saying chris python has completely changed like the 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 course of his comedy history and particularly in how it influenced you know the british comedic scene and the deadpan approach to doing some things where you present things as very like straightforward but then they're completely absurd and then sometimes just being really abstract and out there and avant-garde uh one of my favorite things though that python ever did to me is they bamboozled me i don't know which episode it is but the beginning of one of the flying circus episodes it starts off with uh and it this used to be aired on pbs all the time python was always shown on flying circus was shown on pbs all the time and um there's this like it showed like a a pirate or something like that getting knocked off a ship and swimming to shore and, and with like treasure coming uh, no rowing they rowed ashore in a rowboat that's right and they've got treasure in the um the rowboat and they like dragging it up a hill and then they walk by john cleese sitting in a suit at a table and i was just like i thought i was watching like a like a 60s you know historical thing and like no it all of a sudden John Cleese is there and he's like, and now for something completely different. Yeah. And I was just like, what? And I got bamboozled. And that was like one of the things that was like, all right, these guys are great. So uh, it's a really sad day, but you know, it, as anything like this happens, you know, our heroes, they age, they, there comes a time where everybody has to move on. Uh, a lot of people have been, doing callbacks to Graham Chapman's memorial service where John Cleese gave one of the funniest and most earnest, uh, you know, eulogies ever that's available on YouTube. If you want to run that down, uh, it's great. Uh, I, I don't want to like repeat it here because it, you should just see his delivery and everything. L needless to say, he gets a, a church full of, solemn and sad faces to get a round of laughter and then a second round of laughter off one joke that's <laughs> a sign of a great joke when you get like a yeah. wave like it, it you know it, it comes back and it's incredible and so people are kind of like wondering if we'll see something like that come out of jones's memorial services uh perhaps perhaps palin will do something similar to what cleese did for chapman uh, I don't think it'll be necessarily as in your face and raucous per se, but it will be appropriate. I'm sure. I'm sure there will be something cathartic that comes out of whatever is done for Terry Jones. But it's uh, it's sad to see the first of the remaining pythons to fall. Though this comes in the wake of uh, longtime Python collaborator uh, in his I forget his first name. Uh, the musician, he just passed away recently too. So like hardcore Python fans are like just reeling right now because they just lost two of the, mm. the legends. So that's where we're at. Uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, it's just huge, absolutely huge to comedy fans. Uh, Humble Bundle, I try to plug it whenever it's good. In the last two days, we've gotten two pretty big updates. There's a game bundle for the game Europa Uner universalis 4 which is a strategy game kind of like a civilization type game if you're familiar with that uh the reason this might matter to you is if you're into that genre for 17 dollars, you can get what is the equivalent of like 200 plus dollars 
in the core game and DLC. Uh, so people are like the, the the core game is is great. People are like, but like if you play it and get into it and it's your thing, you're gonna want the DLC. This DLC packet or this humble package has everything except for one DLC that was offered, one expansion. Everything else you can get for seventeen dollars. Uh, one guy said I just spent over a hundred U.S. dollars on getting all of these games like a day ago, and I'm crying. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it's I, I, depending on how you feel about DLC. Some people don't like games that have a ton of DLC, but strategy games like this, like people who play these games, tend to like love these games. And like, I have one friend on my Steam list who I haven't talked to in like six years. He plays this game all the time. Like, I see his name pop up every couple weeks, or sometimes frequently for like a week or two, playing this same game over and over and over again. So, if you're into the the historical strategy games like Civilization, this might be worth a look. Uh, the other thing to come out today. Well, be real quick before you move on. Uh, yeah. I think it's important to note that it's Windows, Mac, and Linux friendly, which is not always mm-hmm. the case with Humble Bundle. Yeah, there's not always Linux support for every title that comes yeah. out. Uh, also, there's a ebook bundle for Warhammer 40K. I'm always apt to plug uh, the 40K stuff because the if you're a fan of that universe, the books are always held in high regard. This is interesting because it's an ebook bundle that is offering multi-language titles. So there's not as many books as there are often in an ebook bundle, but each one of them is available in three languages: English. French and German. So if that appeals to you, or if you happen to speak one of those other languages other than English and have been like looking for stuff to read in those languages, uh, that is available. And it's very affordably priced and they are also DRM free. So you can basically just download them and proliferate them with your friends and stuff, which is not always the case. So yeah, it's uh, Humble Bundle is continuing to kick ass and offering a bunch of different stuff two different tastes That's and i've awesome. been playing shadow of war which was in humble choice this month uh the, the middle earth shadow of war which is a sequel to shadow of mordor uh they that game took a lot of flack two years ago when it first came out because like battlefront 2 star wars battlefront 2 it had a lot of uh micro microtransactions baked in and so like at the same time that ea was taking a mountain of shit for battlefront so was this game and they've patched it since then. So, like, I'm watching old videos from, like, two and a half years ago for strategy and stuff. And they're like, yeah, you should definitely go to the store and don't buy the real money, these things, buy this other thing. And I'm like, none of that stuff even exists in the game anymore. So I can't do any of that stuff. Um, but it's crazy. It's everything that was in Shadow of Mordor, but more. Uh, they have this new system where you take over strongholds and populate it with your you, you tame captains, if you will. And uh, you can invade other people's strongholds and they can invade yours. It's really interesting. It's a lot of fun. It's a little frustrating sometimes, but I realized I was building my character wrong before. But it's pretty dope. If you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings franchise, the story is interesting. It doesn't conflict with the actual canonical stuff. It kind of like tries to, I I think it's technically like fan fiction-esque, if you will. Because I don't believe it's, it's officially licensed, but I don't think it's supposed to be officially canon, but it's pretty cool, regardless. <laughs> Sounds cool. So, Chris, where can they find you in the web, man? 
before that, I've okay. got a little suggestion for the uh, the the crash test pilots. We just started watching uh, Kipo and the uh, the Age of the Wonder Beasts on Netflix, a new animated series. Mm-hmm. Totally awesome. I've, I've only seen the first two episodes. I'm trying to watch it with with my kids. It, it's great. Um, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic type future world deal. Um, I don't know what. I don't know what the uh, the IP is that it's based on. If it's a if it's a a comic or graphic novel, if it's a book, what, whatever it is. But the, the visual on visuals on it are stunning. The character works great. It's an imaginative imaginative story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool. It's it's really cool. You guys should check it out. Um, I, I think it just premiered within the last couple weeks on Netflix. So we'll just say we'll say the in that January push. But it, uh, I think it's you stuff. need to be a, a patron to be able to suggest. Show to them. <laughs> Patreon.com slash crash test pilots. We're looking for some EPs. Um, but other than that, you guys can find me over on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch in all things wisdom in one way or another. Uh type in all things wisdom is usually the easiest way to find me because there's different variations of in and the, the and all. But all things wisdom. Awesome. And of course, every week here. Yes. Paul. You can find me on Twitch and Twitter at SoapboxGSTU. Uh, I've been trying to stream more again. I'm j- I've been trying to stream on Tuesday and Thursday <laughs> evening, starting at around 6 Eastern. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Uh, I know I've been plugging that a lot lately. I'm sorry. Things come up sometimes. Uh, and yeah, it doesn't always work out. But I've been trying to stream more. Um, I've been trying to go through games that I've gotten through Humble Bundle lately and play them as much as possible because I think... Uh, a lot of people are maybe getting Humble Bundle and like seeing like one or two things that they really wanted and like playing that. But maybe I'm trying to explore some of the other stuff that didn't get as much focus. So that's a whole thing. Uh, and of course, you can catch me. We've plugged it a bunch of the show, but Crash Test Pilots, the show I do with Nicole. We just uh, we're one episode away from finishing up our little mini season or season 1.5, if you will. Uh, which has been focused on science fiction. We did Altered Carbon. We did Lost in Space on Netflix, and we did The Expanse this past week. We're going to do Star Trek, the original series uh, for the last episode of the mini season. Then we're going to start season two. Uh, We're going to get back to a more general mix. And we're also going to have some guests. Uh, We're still working out some details, but we got some people lined up. And uh, we're, you know, always looking for more. So, We've got 17 episodes in the tank right now. If you are looking for something new to binge, please, please consider that. That is awesome. And you do a great job over there. And I think it sounds like your intent is not just to break down the shows when I listen. It's to to get people interested. If they go, oh, that sounds cool. I'll go check it out. You know, it's it's, it's a more positive spin on things. Uh, You hear too much critique in this world, and it's a great... Well, this was a fun experience. This is what we liked, what we didn't like, and you know, go make up your own mind. To that point, uh, I don't want to like give away too much of the Expanse episode, but you know, when we covered The Witcher a few weeks back, we talked about that EW article, the Entertainment Weekly article, where the two people just decided to meme on the show because I honestly think that that was two critics that thought that this show was going to bomb and they thought they were going to be ahead of the cultural zeitgeist of it being like a real crap show. And they got dumped on because people kind of universally loved it and they looked like fools. Uh, but we critic- heavily criticized that review because they didn't watch all the episodes. They didn't give it a fair shake. Uh, on Metacritic, the guy gave it a zero, which is like, I'm sorry, if you give something a zero, it's got to have zero merit for me. Like, and it clearly yeah. had merit. 
Uh, Nicole didn't care for The Expanse in the sense that she said it was a good show, like it was well made, and she could see that, but it just, the subject matter wasn't something that grabbed her. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's what we try to do on that show is we try to talk about things and like, you know, I, I do my usual thing where sometimes I'll embellish a little bit on like how grown worthy something is. Uh, Charles, I, if you listen to the whole Gilmore Girls episode, you might have heard God that man. I had some some negative things to say about your boy, Jared, <laughs> boy, Jared Padalecki. I didn't I don't think his acting's very good in season one. I, I, yeah, I don't care for Jared too much either. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, you know, other than that, we try to keep but it. He was positive. like 18 or something at the time. too. He was young. Yeah. yeah, you could tell he was. I, I just felt like he was trying too hard to be James Dean. And I know that's the character, but yeah. like, come on. Anyways, yeah. So that's where we're at. So uh, Rock got a podcasting across most social media, Twitter, and now Snapchat. Thanks to fucking Phil at uh, Rock Got a Pod. I'm on, and I don't know if I'm gonna post shit over there. I'll be honest with you. I look at the filters and like, I might make my wife laugh with it, but I'm not putting that shit out in public where people can screenshot the fuck out of it and put it on, you know, the web, Chris. Because uh, I know that's what Phil, Chris, and Paul probably would do. Is like, oh look, you're a buddy. Bloop, screenshot, fuck you. Um, but I am there, so you can you can send me your screenshots or night screenshot, your Snapchats at Rock Got a Pod. Uh, my favorite thing right now is Instagram, Rock Got a Podcasting, uh, posting stuff that how I see the world or my personal world or you know anything that happens there. And this channel, this stream is part of and podcast is part of gstu.net, and we also have an Instagram, GSTU Media. On Instagram, you'll find promotions for the shows, other geeky fun stuff, some fun little memes, those kind of things going over there. And I still got to get these guys logins for it so they can share their geek world as well, if they choose, on, on, on the GSTU Media Instagram. But go follow that at GSTU.net for all these wonderful shows that we do and many others. And, um, yeah, you can find the other shows I'm on there. I'm tired now. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I hope Phil's had a great night tonight. Uh, he's out with his girlfriend, Dennis, and they're at uh, this concert. So it'll be awesome. Uh, High Lung Show? Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I don't uh, know how to pronounce it. It's like Swedish or Norwegian. I don't know. And uh, tune in next. guitars. <laughs> guitars. With uh, acid wash jeans. Uh, tune in next week to hear Chris Wisdom say. The only reason the Bromigos want you on is to murder you. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you tell Charles that you tried to pull a McFall? I, I didn't try to pull a McFall. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in here on uh, GST Media on uh, Twitch. We'll see you next week. Breaking the Panel is the flagship podcast on the Giant Size Team Up Network. You can support the show at patreon.com slash breaking the panel and you'll find more of our amazing podcasts at giantsizeteamup.com.